Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to the Tamar Yono Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And so we're discussing the judicial reform. What exactly happened here in Israel? Was there really going to be a civil war? And how would that play out if so? Also, what does it mean now that Prime Minister Netanyahu put the reform on hold? Here to discuss these issues with us is Alex Trayman. He is the Jerusalem Bureau Chief at the, at the Jewish News Syndicate. And you can check out their website at JNS, that's like November, JNS.org. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much, Tamar. It's really great to have you on. Okay, so why don't we just start out for people who are still a little bit confused. What exactly were all of these Israelis marching in the street about? Tell them. Well... Uh, the the protests were about a legislative package that Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition wanted to advance, which would reform the way the Supreme Court in Israel functions, who would sit on the Supreme Court, how the justices would be chosen, what the Supreme Court would be allowed to rule on, what it wouldn't be allowed to rule on, and in which cases, uh, and even a, a controversial override clause in which the uh, government would have the opportunity to override a Supreme Court ruling if it disagreed with it. Um, and uh, this would sort of radically change the, the way Israel has been governed. Uh, the judicial branch of government in Israel is by far and away the strongest branch. It has prevented uh, Netanyahu and his right-wing allies from advancing a right-wing agenda for many years. And so the first thing they wanted to do was to uh, change the way the court functions. But this, uh, the protests are, are a lot more than just over the way the justices will be selected or the way the court can function. It's actually about a vision of the state. And you have Netanyahu and his uh, right-wing and, and nationalist and religious coalition partners who view Israel as a nationalist country, a country with strong traditions that are unique to itself, as a nation that stands alone, as a nation that has the rights uh, to, to live and grow in the uh, biblical counties of Judea and Samaria, which most of the international community refers to as the West Bank, um, versus what the opposition, which is largely a left-wing opposition, views Israel as a secular extension of Europe, uh, Western Europe on the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, you know, so it's a more nationalist versus a globalist vision. Now, the court is a uh, left-wing and self-selecting body in which it actually picks its own replacements on the courts. So you have a court which is almost uh, exclusively left-wing, and the court is basically able to uh, invalidate legislation, invalidate policy, force the parliament to create bills and laws uh, on certain issues, force the executive branch of government to carry out uh, policies even against its own will. And so when Netanyahu won this this election, this fifth election in three and a half years, for the first time in his long tenure as prime minister, he actually had a full right wing government. Right. Um, and Netanyahu is is sort of always preferred to to govern from the center uh, when given that opportunity with both right wing and left wing uh, coalition partners. And now he has a full on right wing government, 
and these right-wing coalition partners have been waiting for this government for, for years. And now that they have it, they want to advance every piece of legislation that, that they've been cooking for, for many years. And the court basically serves not as the not as the arbiter of, of democracy in Israel, but as a check on right-wing policies. And so what we've seen is over the last several weeks and a couple of months since this government has been formed is that almost every piece of legislation or policy action that the government wanted to advance, uh, the court was there to block. And so when Netanyahu wanted to uh, change the way the court functions, the left wing in Israel saw it as the loss of power. Not only did they lose the election after trying as hard as they could for three and a half years to push Netanyahu from office, not only is he back, but with a full right-wing government, but now they're going to lose the court also, which is their strongest institution. And this is really the reason why uh, we've had hundreds of thousands of people in the streets because it's it's the belief that the in the absence of a constitution that, that you need to have the secular left be the protectors of an Israeli democracy. Okay, so I'm going to stop you there for a minute because I want to put this in a nutshell. And I, because before I do, I want to say that there are hundreds of thousands in, in the street, but also from both sides, not just the left, because we saw what happened uh, the night of... Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is saying that he's going to postpone the, the, the vote on this judicial reform. But I want everybody to understand that the, the, we have checks and balances, supposedly, too, and that the, the left wing put more power into, into the Supreme Court back in, I believe it was 19, the, the late 1970s when Menachem Begin was voted in as the uh, Prime Minister of Israel with the Likud Party. Uh, I think it was called, uh, Mach, no, what was, it, what was it called then? Machal? I, I don't remember. But in any, it's the same thing as the Likud today. And, and this was an earthquake for Israel because the left had always been in power since the inception of the modern state of Israel. And it was an earthquake. It was a radical thing that happened. And they said, whoa, we lost power. These right-wingers, these Sephardim, what they thought was like the second-class citizens of Israel, the common folk, the salt of the earth people, are now in power. They couldn't have that. And that's when they pushed all this power into the Supreme Court, and now the right wing is trying to take it away so that the people who were democratically elected should be making the laws of Israel and not some self-appointed judges from the left that are going to override uh, things that the Knesset puts into law. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I want to say that, yes, they had a lot of people out in the streets, the left, for a long time. It was very well oiled, very well organized. And when I say organized, really organized. They had uh, sponsors from outside of Israel, foreign, international money coming in to prop up the left here. And yes, they had 100, maybe maybe 200,000 people in the street. But on the night, we're talking, it was uh, Monday night correct? It was last night. Yeah, Monday night. Monday night that uh, all of a sudden the right wing just started spreading messages all over uh, WhatsApp and the social media saying, get out into the streets, come to Jerusalem, demonstrate. And we also got 200,000 or so people there. So take it away. And we did that without sponsoring, without outside money. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time that the right wing after 
really a, 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 over a month of, of continuous left-wing protests that the right wing stood up and they were holding placards saying, you know, we will not be uh, second-class citizens in the country. And, and you're right. Um, it was really in the in the 90s that uh, Israel went through what was called the Judicial Revolution, which was uh, led by then Supreme Court President Aaron Barak. And he said that uh, everything is justiciable, uh, which includes all legislation, all policies, all commercial contracts. Uh, you've got a lot of differences between the way the court functions in uh, the United States, for example, versus the way it functions in Israel, where you have basically the court uh, self-selecting its own members, that you have three Supreme Court justices that essentially have a, a veto in the, in the selection committee on any candidate that they don't want. Um, and this is why, you know, out of the 15 members of the Supreme Court, you know, 13 of them are, are Ashkenaz, uh, Jews of, of European descent. You only have one religious member on the court. You only have one uh, Sephardic member of the court. So many Israelis don't feel like the court represents them. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's a homogeneous left-leaning court, they, um, they're able to, to rule on, on anything. And and in the absence of a constitution, the court created this concept called reasonableness, which they used to, to judge, uh, you know, whether something you know, sh should pass, it should be legal or illegal. They just judge based on what they think is, is reasonable or not reasonable. And that causes a, a lot of difficulties. Um, but I, I will say that uh, for all the reasons that the court uh, needs to be reformed, and, and I've gone through this in like a webinar that I did last night, and it, it takes a long time to unravel all the things that are actually wrong with the Supreme Court. There's many things. You know, you don't need standing to bring a case before the Supreme Court. And so the court colludes with uh, NGOs that receive foreign funding to bring petitions before the court. The court, the Supreme Court president decides which justices will hear every case. So you can almost know in advance of the case what the verdict Outcome is going to be based on who's uh, on, on who's assigned to the case. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that are, are wrong with the court. And, and it was very correct for Netanyahu and his coalition to want to change the court at the outset of their new coalition, because without changing the way the court functions, also changing the way the attorney general functions. I mean, this is this is critical. You know, in the United States, for example, the president selects an attorney general that helps him to or her advance their policy agenda here. The attorney general was appointed by the last government uh, that was the anti-Netanyahu change government. Uh, the attorney general has a six-year contract. The attorney general is is very much opposed to Netanyahu serving as the prime minister, <laughs> and, and and is a as a left-wing ideology similar to the court, similar to the opposition. And she's been blocking every single piece of legislation and policy uh, from within the within the government because the court has decided in this. Judicial Revolution of Aaron Barak that the legal opinion of the attorney general is legally binding on the government. That's even before it gets to court. You have an attorney general here that can refuse to represent the government before the court. Uh, so, you know, in a nutshell, the attorney general is essentially the boss of the prime minister instead of the attorney general working with the prime minister. Okay, and so judicial reform really needed to take place in order to balance things out more so the the people of Israel get to elect their officials who represent them and could pass the laws that the majority wants. And in this case, we're looking at a minority, the left wing, which lost the elections. And since they lost the elections, they're trying to 
take over through the streets. So they couldn't win at the ballot box. They wanted to win through the streets. And they had a lot of ammunition on their side. They had the Histadrut, which is the workers' union here in Israel. They had shut down the airport. They had So people couldn't leave Israel who were going to for Passover to their families all over the world or anything like that. And we had uh, hospitals that went on... Uh, emergency status only taking in emergencies basically not elective surgeries and uh we saw other malls that would close down so we're really we saw the country uh sort of closing down economically and these were ruses that they used in order to pressure prime minister netanyahu to put a stop to reform or at least to put a hold on it and people were all saying in the media, there's a civil war going on in Israel. There's a civil war going on in Israel. What is your take on people who are saying that? How close were we? And how would that have played out? Or was it playing out, etc.? Well, from the very beginning of the protest, the leaders of the protest movement were saying that these protests would end in violence uh, if the judicial reforms were not removed from the agenda and that the protest and that Netanyahu was dragging the country towards civil war. So from the very outset, they were talking about violence and civil war. This is one of the major talking points. Um, I don't think that most of the protesters were interested in any kind of a civil war. This was rather a, you know, a public protest movement. But what, what is dangerous is that when you have uh, such incendiary rhetoric um, and, uh, I had seen recently just walking by myself uh, home from uh, from synagogue on, on the Sabbath uh, a sticker for Antifa Jerusalem on a street post uh, here in Jerusalem. And, and so you do have to worry that uh, if the protest movement would – uh, you know, would continue, and it and it was continuing, and it, to grow with moment with tremendous momentum, uh, that you could get acts of violence if you have agent provocateurs that are in the middle of a protest. Um, but more so than the the push towards the civil war is that the left wing kind of violated every social code that Israel had. You had uh, IDF reservists uh, and Air Force pilots saying that they would refuse to serve uh, if judicial reform went through. You had. Uh, I want to remark on that, by the way, when when you're done. Yeah, you had the protest movement um, urging high-tech businesses to take their money out of Israel, essentially promoting BDS. You know, after we've been fighting against BDS for 10 years now, the left-wing opposition is promoting BDS. Uh, you know, you had uh, the opposition lobbying American Jewish leaders to be sending letters to the government opposing government policy. So for the first time, you have the opposition telling the diaspora Jewry to get involved in what's going on, lobbying the, the Democrats in the United States and the Biden administration in particular to be getting their hands dirty and affecting Israeli domestic policy. Uh, you had the organization of protests against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in uh, countries like the UK where he was last weekend. So all of these things you know, are, were red lines that were, were never crossed on any kind of uh, political issues in the past. And, and it's really it's, it's cutting off their nose to spite their face. They tried to put so much external pressure on Netanyahu, but what they don't realize is that you have now politicized the army, right, which was something that was never done. You have now promoted companies to take their money out of Israel. Do you think that they're going to put their money back in if the left wing gets back into power? Uh, do you think that Net 
you, if you get a left-wing prime minister, you've basically told the international community that when an Israeli prime minister comes to another country, that what you should do is to protest them. So I think that that the specific the organizers of this protest, you know, ha- have done irreparable damage uh, to Israel's image and to the the social contract that exists between the people and the government. Right. And I, I want people to understand that. And, and you can you can disagree with me if you like, Alex, just jump in. But I think a lot of people, when they hear the word civil war, they're thinking that people are going to start raising arms against uh, another segment of society and there's going to be dead bodies in the street with people shooting each other. I don't think it was going that way. Yes, there was uh, economic uh, damage to Israel, like you said. And yes, there was uh, image damage. And it, it hurt the country. However... Um, I don't see it like a, a civil war, it, but, but more like when, when you saw in the, uh, in, in the United States with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, it's such a burning down shops and, and making yeah. trouble and making it painful. Exactly. But, uh, you know, the way these things work is when Antifa gets involved, you know, they can get involved in a Black Lives Matter protest, which is mostly a left wing protest. And Antifa can also get involved on January 6th when when you have uh, Trump supporters protesting the election results at the Capitol. These uh, they're agents for hire. And what uh, actually made me afraid is that if the protests would continue and then if right wing protests, uh, pro reform protests would grow and you basically have these two protest movements sitting side by side, which you did see yesterday and yesterday was very peaceful. But um, if this would continue and the and the temperature would continue to to grow, that you could see Antifa. Uh, dressed up as either side, you know, you could see the Antifa dressed up in as right wing protesters, and then all of a sudden attacking left wing provocateurs, protesters, right? Right. So you know, you don't know what can happen uh, if the temperature rises, and the temperature was rising here very, very quickly. I think you asked me before if that uh, you thought that Netanyahu did the right thing by pausing the legislation, and at this point, Netanyahu had absolutely no choice because um, what happened is that. As the temperature continued to rise, you had people on the middle of Israel uh, starting to side with the protesters, not because they uh, believe that you shouldn't have judicial reform. They all say you should have a meaningful judicial reform, but you need judicial reform with consensus. You can't ram through a judicial reform in this way that continues to to raise the temperature. So they wanted the temperature to be cooled. And what happened to Netanyahu is that some of the more moderate members of his Likud party uh, were now calling for the for the legislation to be paused and were threatening not to vote with the government. So Netanyahu was getting to a place where if he would continue moving forward, he wouldn't be able to pass the reforms within his own coalition. So if you can't pass the reforms anymore, then you have you have no choice but to pause. And and I do think that uh, there are some genuine calls for compromise coming from uh, the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, um, from uh, one of the opposition leaders, Benny Gantz, saying that they will are willing to come sit down and to negotiate some kind of compromise. Obviously, a compromise is going to look different than what the coalition wanted to to legislate there's no doubt about it but the there's a good chance that you can get some meaningful reforms uh, negotiated in the summer session of the Knesset as a first step uh, and Netanyahu was basically between a rock and a hard place if if he if he went forward with the reforms, he wouldn't be able to pass them. He'd lose moderate members of his government by pausing the reforms he risked losing the the 
the stronger members to, to the right of him and, and his government. Um, and he just really needed to, to bring down the temperature. And I, I think also it's very important to understand that for Netanyahu right now, judicial reform is not even the most important issue. The most important issue for Netanyahu is Iran. Uh, everybody understands that uh, we're getting to a breaking point where Iran is going across the the nuclear threshold. That there's a f- strong feeling among the security establishment in Israel that we're we're coming to a now or never moment. And this is the reason why Netanyahu has been flying so much. He was in Germany, Italy, um, France, and the UK just in the last month as all of this judicial reform mess was going on in the country. He's not talking to the leaders of those countries about judicial reform. He's talking about Iran and. I don't think he wants to have a situation which could look like the movie Wag the Dog, where you're launching a war in order to uh, in order to to calm what's going on domestically in the streets. So he really needed to to lower the temperature and and to start focusing on, on some of the other priorities. Okay, so I hear you, and I'm glad that you brought up that point because I think people don't know that. I I just want to argue a bit for the other side, just saying that one of the reasons that they try to push us through now is, number one, no Israeli government has lasted very long in the last several years, some of them only like six months. So they wanted to, before the, God forbid, the, the, the right should lose power, uh, they, they wanted to get this pushed through. Second of all, they know the tactics of the left, and that is that if they waited too long, they were afraid that they were that these individuals who were helping to push it were going to get harassed by fake you know, lawsuits against them or any dirt that they can try to dig up on them or plant on them to to make them not be able to make to to be in this fight. And that was one of the other reasons that they gave. And and it does show whether he was right or wrong, a bit of weakness on Netanyahu's side, kind of like when you have a parent who has a spoiled brat son who doesn't get his way or daughter, doesn't get their way, and they put up a tantrum and start screaming and yelling, and then you give in and say, okay, we'll wait. But I understand what you're saying. Those are very good points that you gave. There were certainly you know, every reason why Netanyahu had you know, a perfect opportunity to advance judicial reform. Uh, I think one of the, the key components here that maybe we didn't mention is that the attorney general had actually put a gag order on the prime minister, barring him from dealing with the issue of right. judicial reform. Correct. Correct. Uh, because the attorney general claimed that Netanyahu was in a conflict of interest because of the corruption cases which are ongoing against him. The, the argument was that, you know, if Netanyahu will change who are the justices on the court and then if his if he will be convicted and then the con- conviction will go to an appeal and then it will later go to the Supreme Court, that Netanyahu would have selected essentially the the justices that would then be hearing his case. So, so she barred him from dealing with the issue of judicial reform. And so for for about a month, Netanyahu didn't even mention judicial reform. You know, he wasn't out leading the campaign on what turned out to be a highly controversial uh, topic. Very good. And he point. allowed uh, Yariv Levin uh, and Simcha Rothman, who was the uh, the head of the Knesset Law and Constitution Committee, who's a, a rookie parliamentarian, uh, to to just drive the process through. And and I don't think that they were prepared for what the the how the left was going to re- respond to this. Um, and so it took for Netanyahu's government to pass a law saying that the Supreme Court can't remove a prime minister before Netanyahu felt comfortable that he could step in and start to address the issue of judicial reform, which he did for the first time last week. But but, you know, his speech was was a little bit too little too late. 
And his own defense minister basically undercut him by giving a national address when Netanyahu was abroad, calling for Netanyahu to to uh, pause the judicial reforms. And the next day, Netanyahu basically turned around and fired the fired his defense minister, right. who, who not only acted in great act of insubordination, but also uh, announced publicly to Israel's enemies that uh, the defenses of the IDF are being weakened. Uh, by judicial reform, which is a terrible message for a defense minister to be sending to, to the enemies of Israel. And Netanyahu, in a sense, had no choice but to, to fire him. But at the same time, Netanyahu and his coalition, what was happening is that they were surrounded, all the institutions of the country, as you mentioned, the labor union, the 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 courts, the media, the academia, you know, are, these are all institutions controlled by the left. There's great turbulence in the country. And Netanyahu, like, had this this his coalition was like an airplane flying through turbulence. And when when he fired his defense minister, it was like firing a gun on a plane that got that the bullet goes through the window. And now all of a sudden the plane couldn't couldn't go straight anymore through the turbulence. Uh, and, and it just got to a, a breaking point. And, and I do think that the the temperature was was moving up the dial way too fast. And if he didn't st- if he didn't pause the reforms, I, I think he would have very quickly lost his government. Okay, and so uh, when you're talking about the defense minister and the army, the military, you'd also talked about how some of the pilots uh, said that they were not going to be doing their job and there are other people who were going to be insubordinate, etc., which is merit. It's, uh, how do you translate that into English? Um, uh, like mutiny. Yeah. And so I think, uh, and people have commented on this, it's being talked about now, that they're saying that immediately the right wing uh, uh, should start training Haredim, which are the ultra-religious, and people on the right, putting them into uh, the pilot school in the military, start grooming these people to take over high positions in, you've got to train these people, you've got to put them through the system, so they're trained just like the left has been trained in the military, so if you God forbid, have a mutiny in the future, that you've got other people who are going to be there, that are going to carry the weight and push it through Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you can see is, and, I, and, and people don't really recognize this, but the, the enlistment figures among the Israeli left are declining. They're looking for every reason not to serve. And the part of the reason is, you know, they, they find themselves in, in Jewish communities and in Arab communities in Judea and Samaria, um, and they don't understand why they're there because they don't study the Bible. They don't they don't read the Tanakh. They don't know why if they're if they're in Hebron, they see a, an Arab city with two hundred and fifty thousand people and, and five hundred Jews. They don't care that that the uh, Jewish patriarchs uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the foremothers, you know, Sarah, uh, Rebecca, and and Leah are buried there. They don't care that in you know they they see why are we in Nablus and if you have a they don't see that we're in the biblical city of Shechem where, where Yosef is buried. So you actually really need at this point um, religious soldiers in the army that, that understand why they're defending the land they're defending. You know, the, the left wing wants Israel to be out of those places and they don't want to serve anymore. So we need to have a, we need to have a revolution in the army and it will, it will take convincing the religious communities to, to, to go in. And I'll tell you, the, the left wing does not want religious soldiers and religious pilots uh, taking over the army. And they do whatever they can, actually, to keep them out of their club. They want to control 
all of these key institutions. And that's why they double down so hard with these protests when the right wing says, hey, we're going to change the way the court uh, operates. Well, so we hope that we gave everybody here a good uh, picture of what has been happening here in Israel and why it has happened and where we're going towards the future. Our guest is, again, Alex Trayman. He is the Bureau, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Their website, jns.org. We're going to post that where the show is uh, podcasted. And I want to thank you, Alex, for giving us kind of like in a nutshell what's going on here in Israel so people get a better understanding and can, uh, and can move on and know that Israel is here to stay. The Jewish people. Thank you you so much. Thank you for being with us, everybody. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.